0: Our reading this morning from the New Testament comes from Matthew chapter four. We're beginning at verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which is by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus is walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Happens in stages and there's a stage in which I have to have a title ready for the bulletin So this week that happened in you know midweek and the title I found was Turn around and follow But then as I continued to prepare after the bulletins were printed I thought maybe a better title would be called Because Jesus is calling the disciples to Turn around and follow And so what we're going to look at is what it means to be called. And being called means to be called to turn around and called to follow and called to be. So we're going to look at those things, to our calling to repent, our calling to follow, and our calling to be who we are in Christ. Now, I found it odd when I first discovered this, in this passage that Jesus his message is the same as the message of John the Baptist's, Because John the Baptist came sort of as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between the the law and grace in Christ, and his message was repent, turn around, get yourself right, because the law is still here, and you better get ready for God to show up. And then I thought when Jesus came, he would say, it's all grace, folks. But because there is not as much difference between the Old Testament God and the New Testament God as people say, in fact, God does not change, the message carries through. And part of Jesus' message, the first part is repent. Dale Bruner, a biblical scholar, says, it translates this, move, move, because here comes the whole new world of God. There's something amazing happening, do something about it. Now, repent means turn around, simply, if you're going this way, turn around and go this way. It means stop putting your hope and trust in the things of this world and turn around and put your hope and trust in the kingdom of God. Turn around because the kingdom of God is near. The the immediacy of this word is demonstrated in that this phrase that Jesus used is the same when he says it's near, is the same as when he says when Judas is approaching To betray him he says behold here comes my betrayer the betrayer is there right now the kingdom of God is coming with immediacy now you might say but yet it's been 2,000 years since Jesus said these things and the kingdom of God has not come yet in its fullness but Jesus would tell us that the kingdom of God came with him in part We experience the kingdom of god in part we experience it now as god works in our lives and then there will come the not yet when the kingdom arrives in its fullness and we can enjoy the glory of god forever but it's here and in order to experience it you have to turn around you have to let go of the things that you hold on to in this life and hold on to then the values of the kingdom of God. C.S. Lewis said it like this, it's like a a chick in an egg and it's time to hatch. And the chick has to do the work of getting out of that egg in order to experience its new life as a chick outside the egg and how foolish it would be for the chick to stay in the egg. For one, all the nourishment's already been used up, There's nothing left for that chick there, and what life it has is outside the egg. So we, if we're honest with ourselves, know that ultimately there is no real life left for us apart from a life in Christ. But the problem is that so many people, and we to one degree or another among them, think that, no, I don't. I don't agree with that. I think that this world has plenty for me. I enjoy the things of this world. I enjoy all of the, the enjoyments. I'm glad my failure to come up with a better word was amusing. <laughs> the message that we hear today says that truth and rightness is inside of you. That the best hope you can have is to fully identify with however, whoever you are deep inside. And the old phrase was self-actualize. The new phrase goes along with identity. Just be who you are inside. And Disney has adopted this and I apologize to those of you who just came back, and I apologize to to all those who love the phrase follow your heart because it is one of the key phrases that, that marks our culture and there are times when it might make sense to have a sense of what you're supposed to do and follow that. However, to just say as a blanket statement of how to live, follow your heart is not wise. The scriptures say, the heart is deceitful above all things. So why would we choose to follow what is lying to us? And the difference between the culture that is being, and, and, the, and the philosophy that is being spread among us, and biblical theology is that the world says, truth lies within. Discover what is within And scripture says, truth lies outside of you. Don't trust yourself, trust God. While the world says, trust yourself. Trust everything about yourself. And for whatever reason, people keep believing this. Now, I have trusted myself enough times to know it's not a smart way to live. It doesn't work well. My heart has led me astray. God never leads us astray. And the other thing that the world tells us is that you're fine. You're fine. You are wonderful. You are a, an amazing, uniquely valuable person. Uniquely wonderful. Uniquely valuable, just like everybody else. Unique. Just like everybody else. Everybody is good. And they hear this and they believe this and they incorporate this into their sense of self. And then we come along with a message that says, Repent, turn around. And people say, What are you talking about? That's rude. I'm just fine the way I am. Why are you telling me to, to be different? And it's a difficult message to get through to people today because they want to believe that they're fine the way they are. They want to believe that they don't need anything outside of themselves. It's a far more difficult message, I believe, to trust today, for people to trust today than it was in Isaiah's time when Isaiah prophesied that people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And in Jesus' time, where Matthew quotes Isaiah saying, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. People were very much more aware of their hopelessness then than maybe they are now. People were very much more aware of not being able to trust themselves than they are now. But where's the truth? Should you trust yourself? Should you believe that you are the center of your own universe? Should you believe that you answer ultimately to no one but that voice inside? Well, if there is a God, and we believe there is, then God is the one to whom we answer. And God's truth is the truth to which we orient our lives. So repentance makes perfect sense. And maybe there's not the same kind of darkness today as the people in Isaiah's day were experiencing governmental oppression, lack of freedoms, hopelessness, a a, a real darkness of, of the whole people. And in Jesus' day, another time of governmental oppression of people who were not able to be who they wanted to be because the government said otherwise. But today, don't we still have oppression from outside and from inside ourselves? We have sickness and disease and struggles and relationship difficulty and all kinds of problems. Now, I don't want to make the world sound so awful and scary or more awful and scary than it is, but I don't want us to keep believing that the world is as wonderful as maybe we hear that it is, that we are in and of ourselves more wonderful than we actually are. It is only when we acknowledge our brokenness, our sinfulness, our separation from God and who God created us to be that we can even want to repent. It is only when we look at the world through a lens that shows us, yes, the beauty of it and the wonder of human relationship, the wonder of all of God's beautiful creation, but also acknowledges that that creation is broken. People are dying from earthquakes people are dying from disease people are struggling in relationship this world is not how we would want it to be forever nor is it how anyone should want it to be forever people get so upset because they believe that everything is good and then they see horrible things happening and they say how can God do that well they don't understand God is good, but the world is broken. And God in Jesus Christ came to rescue this world, to bring light to the darkness, to bring hope to the hopeless. It is only when we acknowledge that this world is darkened by sin that we are able to realize that there is so much more. There is so much more in Christ and in the kingdom of God. Repent. Don't put all your hope in the things of this world, but put your hope in the kingdom and reign of God. Because in, there, in that kingdom is our ultimate hope. In that kingdom is the promise of life the way God intended it to be lived. So we are called to repent. We are called then to follow. We all have a reason for living. And someone said, well, if you want to know what your reason for living is, tell me what you think of when you wake up in the morning. Tell me what you think of most often through the day. That is your reason for living. And then ask yourself, is that reason for living worth living for? And one way to measure that is, is that reason for living worth dying for? And the only ultimately good reason for living, because the only reason for living that transcends this life and connects us to God's glorious kingdom is following Jesus, knowing Jesus, following Jesus. Truly, the only thing worth dying for, because it is only our relationship with God that makes death not the enemy anymore, but the gateway into God's glorious kingdom. And the problem is, so many Christians have maybe walked an aisle at an evangelistic crusade or come to church, come to Sunday school, and they have maybe their long line of attendance pins. I went to Sunday school for 12 years straight. I never missed a week. That was my grandfather. And that was his only real claim to being a Christian. He didn't pray anymore. He didn't believe really much anymore. But he figured when he passed through from this life to the next, he could hold up his Sunday school attendance pins and say, I can come in, right? Or, I went down the aisle when I was 14. Or, I raised my hand at camp that time. Or, I was a Presbyterian. And I think it was Billy Graham who said, being in church does not make you a Christian any more than being in the garage makes you a car. Being a Christian means following. It means if you have truly repented, if your life is reoriented toward the kingdom of God, you will follow the ways of the kingdom of God. And there are far too many people claiming to be Christians and living hateful lives. Living lives that don't demonstrate in any way that they are following the merciful, gracious Jesus Christ. We are to follow his attitudes of kindness, mercy, grace. We are to follow his actions doing what Jesus did. Reaching out to the struggling, reaching out to those who are in pain. We are to follow his agenda. And his agenda, at least as he expressed it to these first disciples, is to be fishers of people, to reach out to people and tell them the good news of the gospel, to tell them about the kingdom of God. One pastor uh, writes about his children who, they have a little muddy pond in the back in their backyard and his kids would, would run out with their friends and take their fishing poles and and. Go fishing in this muddy pond. And he said what they did, though, was disobey the three basic rules of fishing. The first rule, of course, is go where the fish are. There were probably no fish in this muddy pond. The second rule is use bait that's actually attractive to fish. These kids used little rubber worms, and the pastor said no self-respecting fish would go after that thing. And the third is don't let the fish know you're there. But these kids would run out with their little fake rubber worms and and splash and throw rocks and everything. So if there had been any fish in that muddy pond, those fish would have been at the other end, cowering as far away from these kids as they could be. He said, but if our family had to have fish to survive... We would have had to change how those kids fished, where those kids fished, how they presented their bait and what the bait they presented, and how they approached those fish. If we are to be fishers of people, we have to be where they are. We have to show them the truth in such a way that it captivates them. And we're not supposed to use rule three exactly. Well, let them know we're there. <laughs> but there is a sense of as a vessel of the word of God making yourself less and the word more. Not focusing on making notches as to, yeah, I shared with this and I shared with that one. But make sure that the message is what gets through. We are called to fish for people. In other words, we are called to share this good news with people. In our Earlier scripture reading from Isaiah, it's one of those servant passages we've been talking about where the um, servant of God is spoken of, and they, the commentators say, well, I don't know who it is. It might be Israel. It might be Isaiah himself. It might be someone else who's coming, uh, but we know through New Testament re- writings that it is at least Jesus Christ. The servant is Jesus Christ because New Testament writings refer to him. And one of those writings is in Isaiah 9, which is the passage that Matthew quotes here uh, about light coming into the darkness. But in this passage, the servant says, In verse four, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand and my reward is with my God. This following thing can be discouraging. It can be frustrating to reach out with what you know is something everyone needs, something that would bless their lives beyond their ability to understand And they don't want to hear. It's frustrating when we know that this message is so good and yet we hesitate to even share it. Because we're afraid of how we'll be perceived. But God answers this servant by saying, I have something big for you. My goal for you is not just to bring back the captives of Israel into their land. My goal for you, servant, is to reach to the Gentiles that the whole world will know. So most commentators agree that while this probably spoke of Isaiah and Isaiah is sharing his frustration that it didn't work the way he'd hoped every time, and uh, it does refer of course to Jesus because the New Testament quotes these passages about Jesus, it also refers to all of those who are called, and we, you, are called to be agents of the kingdom of God to be messengers of the kingdom of God and know (laughs) that what he's calling us to do is so much bigger than what we imagine because what Because what he's calling us to do is to declare the kingdom of God, to declare the reign of God, and God will bring this kingdom, God will bring this reign, God will bring everything under the authority of Jesus Christ, and all will be made right and good, and there will be no more darkness, no more pain, no more grief, nothing, nothing will be wrong, and all will be right, and we are called to proclaim that good news. Finally, we are called to be. It's one thing to have a list of things, list of, like, Simon says do this, Simon says do that, Jesus says do this, Jesus says do that, Jesus says don't do that. It's another thing to be a son or a daughter of God because of what Jesus said. That's the foundation. It's it's so many people say, Well, I'm a follower of Jesus, meaning that they go by the rules. That's not it. The rules come second, not first. The first thing is to receive who Jesus is and who you are in relationship with with him. You are beloved of God. You are accepted by God. You are loved and you are God's daughter. You are God's son. Be first and then do because what you do should come out of who you are in Christ. And a sculptor explained how this works by saying, you know, it's not hard to sculpt a horse. All you do is you take a piece of marble and chip away everything that doesn't look like a horse. (laughs) It's not hard to follow Christ. It's not hard to be son or daughter of God. Just let him chip away everything that doesn't look like him, and then you will be transformed into someone called, who has repented, who follows, and who knows in the depths of their soul that they belong.